<clears throat> well, we can turn back to the passage we read there from First uh, Timothy uh, chapter 2. And as I'm sure we noticed when we read it, we're going to think about prayer. Especially prayer for kings. Timothy at this time was in Ephesus, as we can see from verse 3 of uh, chapter 1. And he was in Ephesus because uh, Ephesus was a very important city, and it was inevitable that the church there would become very influential. And uh, that is what happened. There were church councils at Ephesus and all that kind of uh, things that shows the church there was prominent. And at this particular time, as I said, there were things wrong in the church in Ephesus. I mean, Paul had, a um, short time before this, he had gathered the elders from Ephesus to meet him at Miletus, and he had told them that troubles were ahead for that particular church and that the troubles would come from both outside the church and from inside the church. And by the time we get to 1 Timothy, Timothy has had to be sent there as a kind of apostolic delegate to sort things out. And in chapter 1, Paul kind of summarizes the problem, and then in the remaining chapters he identifies how they should deal with it to sort things out. And as we can see from verse 1 of chapter 2, the first thing that he mentions is that the church in Ephesus has got to get its prayer practices sorted out. I mean, that's the whole point of him saying, first of all. First of all there doesn't just mean that... Um, He's got a whole list of items that he's going to mention because he doesn't anywhere say secondly or thirdly or fourthly or so on. The first of all is just stressing. If you don't get this one sorted out, it doesn't matter what the others are. It won't do any good. So you have to get this priority uh, sorted out. That's what he says there. First of all, I urge that people start praying. And as we um, look at his um, uh, advice on prayer, we may have thought he would say, well, I think what you should do is start praying for each other. But that's not what he does, is it? Instead he says, I urge that applications, so supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. I mean, basically he tells them that an indication that they have got their prayer lives sorted out is that it becomes global in its perspective. The, when he says all people, he doesn't mean every individual. He's talking about nations, people groups, the nations of whom all these kings and others are in charge of, that he's gone on to pray about. 
He isn't speaking here about individuals, as if God was looking down and seeing every single person in the world, which of course he does do. But the point here is that he's wanting the church in Ephesus to start focusing on a global perspective. And I suppose one thing he's doing is he's saying to them, there's far bigger things in life for you to get involved with. And what could be bigger than praying globally? And he's almost indicating, isn't he, that if they start praying globally, a lot of their local issues will get sorted out. It's almost telling them to stop being introspective and start looking around them and seeing how they can participate in what the world is doing. Because what the rulers are doing indicates what the world will be doing. So he tells them they have to pray about all nations and their rulers. I suppose that raises the question, one I can't answer, because it's just come to my mind at the moment, but how many nations are in the world? I mean, Paul does say all. He just doesn't say a couple of groups here and a few groups somewhere else, but all of them. And I have to confess that I should know how many there are because I've actually got an app on my phone that tells me. And it actually divides the nations into a certain number you can pray for in certain ways and tells you how it's not the only way that can be done, but it can. How do we pray for all peoples? Well, get an app, because it tells you how to do it. And that's elementary. We don't have to get an app. Just look at an atlas. And but Paul is definitely saying to them, isn't he? Become global. And all these people in Ephesus, well, they didn't have the means of travel that we've got. They probably couldn't say if you mentioned a dozen places to them, well, I've been there. They probably couldn't say that at all. But they were still expected to pray for them. And that's very challenging, isn't it? Be global. I want to think about um, why does Paul mention different types of prayer? Because he mentions four. He mentions supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Why does he mention different kinds of prayer? And then I want to think about some Examples of prayers for rulers from church history. So some people took these verses very seriously. And then I want us to think about why should we focus on rulers? 
Because that's who Paul focuses on here, isn't it? Pray for kings and all who are in high positions. Which does suggest that we have to find out who is in high positions. And then lastly, just a couple of obvious times when we should pray for them. What different types of prayer are there? Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Be made for all people groups in the world. And I suppose one reason for that is that at the end of the day, when they're all gathered before the throne of Jesus, where are all these people going to come from? Well, they're going to come from every nation and every tribe and every people group. And, you know, there's one thing they'll all have in common. Somebody prayed for them. And it'd be good on that great day, wouldn't it, if um, somehow or other God was to reveal on that great day that when we prayed for somebody in, I don't know, Argentina, God chose to answer that prayer and somebody there got converted. We won't know anything about it until that great day. But that is something to anticipate, isn't it? Because we do it by faith. If we knew that um, somebody in some other part of the world was going to be converted by our prayers tomorrow, well, we'd all pray tomorrow, wouldn't we? But God hasn't told us the answers to our prayers. He almost says to us, wait and see. Anyway, we are to pray for every people group in the world. Just find out who they are and pray for them. One, well, to me it seems a bit unusual, but one feature of this list he makes, they're all in the plural. He says, supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings. They're all plural. Uh, when he says we're going to do that for kings, does he mean that we are to pray for more than one king? Well, that's an irrelevant question because he just told us to pray for all of them. So he does not actually mean that. He means that there should be many supplications there should be many prayers, many intercessions, and many or much thanksgiving for every ruler. And we have to remember who was in charge at the time Paul wrote this. I mean, none of the Roman emperors would get a Nobel Prize, but there they were in charge. And Paul says, pray for them. Pray a lot for them. Use diversity in your prayers for them. 
supplicate for them, intercede for them, be thankful for them. That's quite strong, isn't it? I also think, or would suggest, that the plural stresses particularity. I mean, it'd be easy for any of us to stand up and say, God, please bless all the nations. What's that? Well, there's nothing particular about that. Just a kind of general statement. But the use of the plural indicates that we have to get some kind of list, whether it's written or not. We have to get some kind of list that we bring to God about each of these rulers. Because we're participating in a global project. And it can only be classified as global if they're all involved. So Paul just stresses, when you come to pray, and this is the way to get things sorted out in the church in Ephesus, when you come to pray, make sure you've got a lot of things to pray for. Whether they are supplications, prayers, intercessions, or thanksgivings. Now, I suppose it's we have to try and work out what, why Paul uses these four things. Because he must have some reason for using them. Maybe he's starting off with the one that's most obvious. Because supplications usually focus on a need, an obvious need. So I suppose, for example, if we were praying for a country in the world that was going through difficulties at the moment, say with a famine or something, we would pray about the famine. Supplicate. I mean, that's one way to look at it. We're just building up in these four items, and at the end we just come to thanksgiving. And, of course, one reason why we should be thankful, in a sense, and this may sound a bit unusual, but one reason why we should be thankful is that we can actually pray for them. I mean, it's a great privilege to pray. We should be thankful to God that we can pray for people. This prayer is not an unfortunate necessity. Prayer is participation in the work of God. And of course we should be thankful about that. Prayers, well they could just be general things. You know that we just do all the time. Come to mind about people, we just pray generally and God would be good to them. Intercessions. Well, intercessions are normally about specific people. 
Jesus' intercession. Is his intercession general? I mean, he's, the illustration given of him is that he has his names and his breastplate, the high priest interceding on his breastplate. That's from his heart. And they're on his shoulders. That's his strength. He puts everything into his intercession. So intercessions are a plural number, but we focus on particular people, whether they are people groups or individuals. And when we've done that, as I mentioned earlier, thanksgiving. I mean, Paul's order does suggest, doesn't it, that at the end of a time of prayer, we should be thankful. Thankful that the things we've asked for can be answered. Because usually every single one of them is beyond our own power to perform. But God, well, he can answer all the prayers. And there's a real challenge here, isn't there, by Paul? Take as many prayers as you like to God. He can answer them. So that's why he's got different types of prayer, just some suggestion. But then, secondly, I want to mention some examples of prayer from church history, and they're going to appear on the screens. Because if I read them out, it would take too long. Here's one from one of the early church fathers called Clement. Clement lived in Rome at the end of the first century. And he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. And as you can see from there, we're at point number 61. And in point number 61, he's encouraging the people in Corinth to pray. To pray for rulers. To pray for the Roman Empire. And what's particularly moving about this particular time is that the prayer, the, the emperor in Rome at the time was Domitian. And he had just spent the previous few years persecuting the church. So what does Clement want the Christians in Corinth to do? And we can see there, just read it. Thou, Lord, hast given the authority of the kingdom to them through thy almighty and unspeakable power, so that we, knowing the estimation and honor given to them by thee, might submit ourselves to them in no way opposing thy will. To whom give, O Lord, health, peace, concord, stability, so that they may discharge the rule given unto them by thee without offense. 
It would be interesting, wouldn't it, if we could rather fly back and see how the church in Corinth reacted to this. That's not all he said. Because you're on in 61.61.2 to say, Thou, every heavenly Lord, everlasting King, give us to the sons of men glory and honor and authority over the things that are upon the earth. Do thou, Lord, direct their counsel according to what is good and pleasing before thee, that fulfilling with peace and meekness and piety the authority given unto them by thee, they may obtain mercy from thee. I mean, he's grasped the point. But somehow, if Christians pray for them, and they find themselves doing certain things, they will actually be led to God's mercy. I mean, that's an incredible insight, isn't it? Written by a man from Corinth. Some people think he's a man from Rome. Some people think he's a Clement, as mentioned in Philippians. Clement also, and others whose names are in the book of life. But anyway, he wanted the church in Corinth there to get praying for rulers. But, leaving Corinth, we can move to Britain and to the time when the Westminster Confession was put together. And if we know anything about our history, we know what the king at the time thought. But in the directory of public worship, we're given information what the church thought about the king. And this is what they say. Pray for all in authority, especially for the king's majesty, that God would make him rich in blessings, both in his person and government, establish his throne in religion and righteousness, save him from evil counsel, and make him a blessed and glorious instrument for the conservation and propagation of the gospel, for the encouragement and protection of them that do well, the terror of all that do evil, and the great good of the whole church and of all his kingdoms. It's quite specific. This is the directory. This is how to have our prayer meetings and what to pray for regarding the king. And, as we now literally have to pray for a king, we might want to look at the directory and tell us and note what it says that we should be doing. And the last one is from Thomas Boston. In a sermon he preached, Pray for the Peace of Jerusalem. In 1707, which, if you know your history, is a very important year. And he said, pray for the peace of the protectors of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a church. For the queen. That's Queen Anne. 
Under the shadow of whose authority we have the peaceable enjoyment of gospel ordinances in purity and plenty. When the Lord took our way, our nursing father, that's William of Orange, he raised up a nursing mother. William died childless. But God raised up a nursing mother and disappointed the hopes of enemies. Pray for the Parliament, their peace with God and among themselves in the Lord. They have need of prayers, especially while such great things are before them as are now in agitation. What was before them in 1707? It's the Union of Parliaments. And Boston there is telling the church, get involved. And be thankful for your nursing mother who replaced the nursing father. For us, it's the other way around, isn't it? We've had a nursing mother for seven decades. We've now got to pray that her successor will be a nursing father. Why should we pray for rulers? Just want to mention a few reasons. Ten, actually. But they won't take very long. Reason number one, and this is the most obvious one, God commands us to do it. I mean, that should be enough, shouldn't it? When God says, for example, uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, how often does he have to tell us? Once. So when God says, pray for the nations, how often does he have to tell us? Once. After all, when he says, pray for governments, where did the idea of governments come from? Who thought it up? Well, God did. Started with Noah. And ever since then, there's been human government. Government is his idea. Not any particular form of government. He hasn't told us which kind he prefers. But he has said, government is his idea. And therefore, we're to pray for kings and others who are in authority. The second reason is, there's lots of gifted humans out there, but not one of them is omnicompetent. There's all kinds of groups of gifted people out there, but even in a group, they're not omnicompetent. And even if all the groups got together, they're still not omnicompetent. But we pray to the one who is. We pray to the one who moves the hearts of men. 
any time he wishes. And therefore we pray because people are not omnicompetent. And they all need God. Not just for salvation. But they need God for all their decisions. And our responsibility is to pray. A third reason why we should pray for them is that they all experience the effects of the fall. Every one of them. They face opposition. They face frustration. They face disappointments. All of them will say the same thing. They don't have enough time. That's all because of the fall. And we are to pray for them because they experience the effects of the fall. It happens all the time. And prayer is God's, one of God's chosen means of reversing the effects of the fall. A fourth reason for praying for rulers is that all of them also experience the common sorrows of life. And we've been reminded of that this past week, haven't we? But they have the common sorrows of life all the time. The same as everybody else. And as they throughout the world make their decisions, they can be very sad as they're making them. But they still have to make them A fifth reason, and Paul kind of mentions it here, they can create circumstances in which God's worship can occur. I mean, if they don't create it, like has happened in many places, then we have to disobey them. But the outcome may be persecution. And that's happening in different parts of the world. But they can create the circumstances, can't they? That's what Boston was thanking them for. And Paul here says that we should pray that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. It's human governments that bring that about. We can pray because their decisions will make global evangelism easier, won't it? I mean, the obvious example of that, of course, is the British Empire. Now, I know there's lots of faults with the British Empire. And it's easy to look back and identify them. But one thing that did happen the gospel spread to the world. Doesn't mean that God approved of everything the British Empire did. But the gospel spread. And it may still spread through powerful government. Who can say? 
We're to number seven, we're to pray in such a way that they recognize that we want them to be successful rulers. How would we define a successful ruler? Well, I think the answer is here in Paul's statement, which you read a minute ago. If a society is marked by peacefulness and quietness, we have successful rulers. If society is disturbed, then there's more need to pray. We have to pray for the success of their decisions. And the success is seen when people live a peaceful and quiet life. And in the main, we have that. But it's the human governments that create it. And we have to pray for them. Specifically, with supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Number eight, we're to pray for them because they are used by God in his providential order. God is a God of order. And usually, providences are caused by the laws of the land. They limit us in what we can do and not do. And they allow us what we can do and so on. We should thank God for that. Order is around. And when there is disorder, we should start supplicating. And not merely I wonder what's going to happen there. Number nine. Common grace is often given through governments. We can think of that in lots of ways. Health service. Leadership. There's a whole range of things that just come through common grace. And usually, it's given by human governments, human authorities, at whatever level they're at. We're to be thankful for that. And when these common grace things break down, we are to supplicate. And we're to pray. And we're to intercede. And we're to be thankful. And the last thing to mention is, and it's something that should be very real to us with our history, we want Jesus to be recognized as the king of the nations. We believe he is that anyway. But we want him to be recognized as that. And that must be part of our prayers for rulers. And they recognize that he's the king of nations. Not in the sense that they are forced by circumstances to do it. 
but that they would gladly recognize it and acknowledge it. So when Paul is making these requirements to the church in Ephesus, that if they want to get their internal problems sorted out, start praying globally. I think we can see why. Special times for praying for others. We got many reasons at the moment for praying for our governments. Obviously, a general election is a time for prayer. If we happen to be in a country that allows them, times of crisis and difficulty. There's lots of crises around just now. Plenty to pray about. I mean, I can go home and say to God, please sort out the crises. And he might say, you don't sound too concerned. Just lumping them all together. God says about all these crises, or Paul says about all these crises, make supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Handovers of power. These are times to pray, aren't they? And in this past week, we've had two handovers. Prime Minister and the Monarch. We are given opportunities to pray. Supplications. Prayers. Intercessions. And thanksgivings. So it's good to pray, isn't it? Shall we pray? Mm-hmm.